0: Man, I tell you, some of those songs, it's just like, it's just, I have to keep myself together. I'm going to be up here and just like crying the whole time. So amen to that. And thank you, Ms. Rose, for reading the word of God. As as you know, that's, the word of God is why we come together. Like that, that is, we read it because that's our source. You know, and I'm just the sinner that just helps us dwell on it even more. The word of God is powerful. And I, I, you know, and I always encourage you guys to read the Word of God constantly, because that, that's, that's it. That's what you got. And you have all the truth you need. It's right there in the Word of God. So let me give you encouragement to, to read the Word of God, let me, especially until in, in, today's, in light of today's message and just in, in light of society. Um, read Romans 14, verse 1. Romans 14, verse 1. I know no, it talks about the weak brother. I know no one ever thinks they're the weak brother. But that's okay. The point is there's something, you're, there's something that we're called to live by. And I, I recommend Romans 14, 1. Just really focus in on that. And, and the other thing I encourage you is I, I pray that you're, you're praying. Uh, you're, you're praying with, with someone or, or somewhere or something constantly. And I pray that you are praying for people to come to know Jesus. Pray you have that list written down somewhere, whether in your heart or physically written down, so you're praying over people so that they'll come to know Christ, whether that be through you or someone else, because this world needs Jesus. It needs Jesus, and he uses you. He uses you. I don't care where you think you've been or how incompetent you think you are. He uses you. He will use you. he can use a donkey, he can use you. (laughs) So let us... uh, Go to the Lord in prayer. And one other thing is uh, we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper today. If you don't have one of these, feel free to go ahead and get one right now. But we'll take this as soon as the sermon is is over. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Uh, God, you're so good. God, we don't deserve anything. We 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 deserve your wrath, the eternal torment in hell. But you've given us your grace and love and eternal life. You've given us your Son to be with you forever. God, what... What what can we say? The the gratitude that, that, that should be sprouting from our hearts. We get to face eternal life in love with you. Rather than eternal hell. Oh Lord, I pray that we could be encouraged in your love for us. The love for sinners. And Lord, I ask that. We can take that love and, and share it with the world because they, they need to know you. And God, I pray that we can share it amongst ourselves to remember that we have you. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. So God, right now, if they're, with all the churches meeting across the world in whatever capacity that may be, be with them. Lord, I pray that we feel, we were reminded and we feel united with them for your name your gospel will conquer this world. Your church will continue and the gates of hell won't stop it. God, I pray also too, for us if there are sins that we are holding on to, clinging on to thinking that they're okay. God, I pray you bring us to repent us, uh, repentance and help us, Lord, to to remove those sins from our life or and and, and have our hearts change towards those sins to, to find them disgusting and distasteful. So we can go to you strictly by faith and lay everything down at the cross. So you can fill us with love, hope, and peace. So we can consistently live the faith before you and others. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. So, um... Paul is now moving in the the book of Ephesians that we're going over. He's moving into what a life looks like in light of the gospel of God's grace. Um, Paul has, for the past three chapters in the book of Ephesians, has been revealing over and over again that you have everything now in Jesus. He has earned everything for you. Everything that you are, everything that makes you up before God consists in Jesus Christ through faith in him. Your ident- He is your identity, he is your security, he is your hope, he is your peace, he is your freedom, he is your life. Now with all this, Paul is now starting to say to the Ephesians, right? he's moving into this mindset of saying, be what you are. Live what you are and let your life reveal that you are a child of God of the Most High. If Christ has set you free from the power and sin and death, then live that way. Not to earn anything from God, but to show that all has been earned for you before God by faith in Christ alone. You have a a calling upon you from the Most High. You are now seated with Him spiritually in the heavenly places right now. So live that way. You don't have to earn your seat before God. You don't have to earn your calling before God. You don't have to maintain your place before God. You don't have to earn your position or keep your position before God. You have it all now through faith in Christ alone. He has done it all for you, so live that way. Live in the truth that you know that Christ has set you free by faith in him. You are now in the kingdom of God. Let me say, you are now in the kingdom of God. Your life is under his sovereign, gracious hand. His smile is upon you, his care and love is over you and with you. Set your mind and heart and attitude in the absolute truth that Christ has set you free by faith in him. Live with that reality in your life. Live in this light that the burden of life is gone. The burden of making up. Of all the wrong that you did and trying to get it all right before God is gone. Your guilt is gone. Your sins are no longer held against you by having faith in Christ. Christ has done it all for us. He has removed all of our debt before God. He has broken down the walls of separation that would keep God's favor and love from us. He has placed all the debt of our sin upon himself so we can freely live in the world by faith alone in him. So the question would be with all of that, what does a life of faith look like in Christ then? What are, we, what are the consequences of, of placing our faith in Christ and receiving all the spiritual blessings of God freely? What does a life based in the grace of God look like? Or at least what should it look like? What does a life under the grace of God in which he freely gives us his favor and love and blessings despite our performance before him, what does that or should that produce in our hearts when you just get things for free? And for our context of Ephesians, What does that produce in our hearts amongst each other? Or at least what should be produced amongst each other? What should be the results in a community of people whose hearts have been gripped by the grace of God? Well, in today's text, we're going to take a look at that and we're going to start looking at that in chapter four. But today we're going to look at verses two and three of chapter four and really in the end, we're kind of just going to focus on the first part of verse two. So our, our title today is A Gracious Community Part One. It's really big letters, part one. <laughs> now, for our context, right, of this book, we always need to keep in mind that one of Paul's main goals is to help the Ephesian churches realize that there's no longer a separation between Jew and Gentile anymore through faith in Christ. And though that may not seem like news to us, it was major news to them. It was new to them that now since Christ has come, he has taken these two major groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, who were hostile to each other and has now through faith in him unified them and... Created a brand new group or a new man, as Paul has stated already in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two, so making peace. But sadly, as these two groups were coming together in Christ, there were problems arising because of different cultures, different personalities, different backgrounds, different priorities, different habits, and so on and so on and so on. What you had was, a, was major cultural clashes between Jews and Gentiles in the churches. The, the way of life was way different with how the Jews lived and how the Gentiles lived. And naturally, when people have Strong's opinion of life... Or ways of life, or certain values or habits of life, people start to see each other as their pet projects, trying to change each other so they can fit into their small box of what they are used to. So people start focusing on how to place their own standards of living and expectations upon each other within the church rather than helping others know and focus on Christ in whatever context of life they're in. And sadly, when the focus is not on Christ and helping others know and focus on Christ, this is what leads to disunity and strife and isolation and anger and bitterness within the church. It leads to a focus on self, really, rather than on others. It leads to a holier-than-thou mentality. The church becomes a very cold, judgmental place where you better not mess up. You better better get it all right. You better not reveal that you have any struggles because if you get it wrong or say something wrong, you're going to pay for it. You know what? Even though we don't, struggle with having a unity between Jews and Gentiles in our churches today, I think these past few years have given us new issues to divide over and to become judgmental over. Now, I'm going to actually take that back. It's not I think. (laughs) I know we have many issues and topics which the church at large and even within our own church, that we can so easily divide over and judge each other over and see each other as a pet project to change people to our views or ways of life. Always understand, the world is working hard to keep us divided from each other and our our fellow brethren. The world is trying to keep us separated emotionally, mentally, and physically from each other. So we must constantly keep our minds focused on Christ, focused on his gospel of grace as we live and interact in the world amongst each other, amongst other Christians, in our homes, at work, wherever we go. We must keep the gospel of God's grace at the center of our lives. For when we do not, we so easily fall into division and disunity. And the world in which we live in becomes all about you rather than the other, which truly is the opposite of the gospel message. For Christ laid himself aside for you. The other was on his mind, not himself. So, to help us and keep us in the gospel mindset, to help our hearts become even more gripped by the grace of God in our lives as we live in this world, Paul gives a short but important list of qualities or character attributes that should arise within us as a response to the gospel of God's grace in verses two and three. And this leads us to our very first point. A gracious community Starts in the heart. Now, what Paul lists here is it's not a comprehensive list, but what is stated affects everything about us, whether in the church or outside of the church. For the primary focus here is on the gathering of believers in a church context, but this doesn't just stop once we dismiss to our homes and workplaces. For when we focus on what he states here or encourages us herein, it should affect our demeanor in all that we do or say. So let us look at the text as a whole real quick, even though we'll end up just focusing on the first part of verse one. We'll look at verses two and three. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now notice, Paul's not giving a list of things to do, per se, but rather he's giving us a list of things to be. What you have here is really heart issues we face as Christians. All humility, all gentleness, patience, bearing with love, eagerness for maintaining unity. Paul is speaking of our hearts currently before God and each other. And if you take a moment and and you think on it, just, just dwell on it for a moment. Do these qualities reflect your heart in all of your life with others in the church? I'm not asking for parts of your life in the church. We all can point to certain things or events where some of these things might have been seen in you. That's not what Paul is getting at here at all. For the context, again, though they have implications in all areas of life, for the moment, he's really focusing on your heart towards all those within the church. Is your heart in a state where you have all humility in your relationships and interactions with people in the church? does your heart reflect all gentleness as you gather with those in the church? I mean, when you look at this list, who can say they achieved all this? Is there anyone that can say in these two verses that this describes you and your heart right now? And even, even if we were just to leave the context for a moment, because if you were to say something like, well, John, I really don't talk, much to people in the church, so it's really kind of hard to judge that. You know, in today's society, everyone's just so busy. Okay, well, let me ask you, does this describe you at at your home with your family? Because even though the context is the church life, these truths stated here don't just stop once you leave those doors. The context, though the context of your life may change and how you go about it may change, the truth is the truth wherever you go and that never changes. You don't get to say, well, now I don't have to be humble. (laughs) Now I don't have to be gentle. Now I don't have to be patient. Now I don't have to be loving. Now I don't have to be eager for unity. Just because you're at home, just because you're at work, just because you're at a long line in the DMV. And that last one, if you're wondering, the eagerness for unity if you're wondering how that plays with non-believers in your life, it still would apply because we should be eager to help people unite in Jesus by faith who don't know him. So it still applies in a different fashion. It's still there. But anyway, can we say we are such things? Can we say we are being such things? Now, obviously, the answer is no or at least it should be. So if our hearts are not at the place they should be, which they are not, and if you, if you think you are, then you need to repent and realize that you're not as good as you think you are. You might be okay in some situations, but not all situations. If you think, oh, no, I got this down. No, you don't. Because the word all here in this text means like everything and to the highest degree, All which you will and have failed even at the times when you think you have done it, you're not perfect. That's what it's saying here. Perfect humility. Perfect gentleness. You don't have those. That's not you. But anyways, why, why bring this up? Why is Paul giving these truths that we cannot obtain in and of ourselves? Well, what he is doing is revealing how deficient we are in and of ourselves without Christ. But by doing so, the things listed here are characteristics that we should desire in our life now since we have faith in Christ. And yet at the same time, realize that we have no power to be these things in and of ourselves without Christ. You notice a theme here? So we end up leaning into Christ more and more by faith when we see these truths, because out of the gratefulness of our heart, we would want this, but we know we can't, which by the way, is one of the main things that separates us from the world. The world doesn't see that dilemma. They think they can do these things on their own without Christ or the opposite They they have no such desire for things like this, all humility and gentleness in their life. But anyways, back to the point with Paul. The only way of having these characteristics be built up in us more and more every day in all that we are, and for the context of this book and how we interact with each other, is to go to Jesus more and more by faith in him. To realize more and more how he accomplished everything we need in him. For the deeper we go into seeing just what Christ has done for us, it consequently changes our hearts to be the very things stated in the text. When we realize that the source for all of the being in this world is given freely to us by faith in Jesus, we then in turn, by his power, are able to be these things consequently. And if you ask, well, how does that happen? I don't know. It just happens by faith in Christ. That's what he does. Do we do it perfectly? No, but these truths that we are called to will play out in our life nonetheless as we have faith in Christ and and focus and learn about what he did for us more and more. For there is power in the message of the gospel of grace. It gives us life. And again, I, how that works, I'm not sure, because Christianity, it's, it's not a formula. It's not a, it's not a checkoff list. It's not a program. It's not a 12-step, 13-step, 18-step program. It's not. It's a relationship with the God Almighty in your life. Through trusting in his son to do what his son said he would do. Just like he said in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You just go to Jesus and say, Jesus set me free. You have to do it. It's faith in God's power working through you by relying upon his power more and more and relying on yourself less and less. That's it. It's faith in Jesus for everything and a constant dying to self-reliance. So let's look then at the first two characteristics that should arise in our hearts as we look to Christ and all that he has accomplished for us. And, and, and what's amazing with all the privileges that we now have in him that he freely gives to us by faith alone, what it produces in us is the exact opposite of what would be expected when you are so privileged in Christ. You would expect people's hearts to be full of pridefulness and and callousness. But that's not what the gospel does. That isn't what happens when you meet Jesus by faith in him. In fact, that's what he breaks within you. So what does the gospel produce or should be producing in us when we focus on this gospel message of grace? Well, Paul says the first thing is, in verse 2, with all humility. And this brings us to our second point. A gracious community reflects the humility of Christ. Now, in the Bible, the context of biblical humility is not a self degradation of self before others. It's not a constant beating yourself up so everyone can see. What is it? It's having a a mindset or an attitude of seeing others as more significant or more important than yourself. Even if you are more important or significant than those around you, for whatever that may be. This doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself. But it does mean that you're not in the mindset of, well, people have to serve me first. They have to tend to my needs first. Because I am the best, or I'm the one who truly deserves it. Can't you see how much I'm suffering? Can't you see how much I've invested? you got to give me something. You may very well be the best, and you may very well deserve whatever it is. But the mindset of true humility is that you have more concern for the other over yourself because your sufficiency in life comes from Christ and what he has done for you, and not what others can do for you. Your acknowledgement of all that you are and all that you have comes from knowing Jesus, how he loved you a sinner, and instead of giving you wrath, he gave you grace. For you know that all you have is from God's grace, and he is working all things for your good, even the things you don't understand, and even if you don't get the things that you think you deserve. Paul says it best in Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in all humility count others more significant than yourself. And when you focus on the gospel and and see that Jesus counted you more significant than himself by dying upon a cross for all your wretched sins, all that nasty stuff you have done and will do, All those times you could have done the right thing, but chose not to do. Chose to serve yourself over others. Chose to be self-seeking, whether at church or in your home, amongst your family, or at work or with that stranger, because you just didn't care and you were done with it all. When you look to the gospel and see how God was not done with you, but rather sent his son out of love to serve you so you could be his child despite your selfish and self-centered attitude before him. That Christ humbly took the form of a servant for you to raise you up with him for eternity, even though you fail him all the time by sinning against him every day but he did it anyway with a smile because he loves you. When you focus on the gospel, this will consequently produce humility in your heart before others or at least it should. If it doesn't, you need to relook at who Jesus is and what he did. Or maybe you need to stop ignoring what he did. Now you might ask, "Oh wait, What about those hypothetical situations of humility in serving others before yourself that makes this type of humility really seem impractical? You know, there's just some things in life, John, that's just not going to work out. So that, you know, we don't have to be humble in all things, you know, all in the text doesn't really mean all, right? Even though it says all, but try to contextualize it. Here's the thing. When you focus on Christ with the theme of what John said in John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease, this will produce humility in you in those tough situations of life that come about with others in the church or even in your home or at work. Because the more you focus on Jesus, the more you will consequently put others first over yourself. It just happens over time as you wait upon the Lord and go to Him through prayer and His Word. You will consequently, if you focus on Jesus, serve them, placing their needs over your own in a way that will overcome those seemingly impractical situations Because your satisfaction will come from and be found in knowing Jesus and not found in the person's response to you. That's the truth, folks. This all humility is founded, based, and secured, and given all by looking to Jesus in all things, including your relationships. When you understand that all your rights have been secured by Jesus Christ before God, you will not worry so much about your rights before men. But rather, you'll be willing to lay them down to serve men. Because Christ has laid down his rights to serve you upon the cross. And this leads us to our our last point. A gracious community reflects the gentleness of Christ. Paul then says, with all gentleness, right? Now again, it's important to have this biblical understanding of gentleness because all too often it's easy to think that it means weakness. Gentleness is not weakness or the lack of courage or being timid. Being gentle means to have strength under control. It has this idea of being able to restrain the power you have from going out of control in in retaliation of something. So the power to be brutal is there, but self-control keeps it in place so you can be gentle. Now, many times, as Christians, we hide behind the truth to get back at someone. To really drive in the pain. What I mean is this. We are harsh because of our frustration with someone or situation with someone. And our brutality comes out and we hide behind the excuse of, well, I just gave them the truth. I just told them as it is. It didn't beat around the bush. You might say, well, John, well, how else are we supposed to speak to people when they're wrong? They got to have the truth, right? How else are we supposed to give them the truth about their foolishness or their sinfulness or their sinful ways or ideas? We can't just let things go, you know, especially those things that I know so much about, like politics. I know so much about, about medical practices. I know so much about when it comes to life choices and values and what you need to be doing with your life that, you know, others just don't understand yet. They need to be corrected. My friend, we only need to look to Jesus. He gave the truth. I'm not saying don't give truth here. Jesus gave truth, but he gave something else at the same time. For John says in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For the law was given through Moses. Oh, we love being Moses, don't we? Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We should be like Jesus. Not Moses. Moses failed. Jesus did it. Or as John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And many times we love to focus on the truth and give the truth without grace towards each other. But it should not be so, for we are called to all gentleness. Now, you might say, well, (laughs) well, John, mm, didn't Jesus flip over tables? Didn't he go after people with a whip in the temple? You bet he did. In John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Aha, John, gotcha. Newsflash, you're not Jesus. (laughs) And if there ever comes a point in your life where you think your only option is to flip over tables, if you will, I beg you to reconsider and really analyze your heart to see if all gentleness is part of this decision you're making. Why is that? Why would I say that? Because understand, unlike Christ, you don't have power like he does. The power, for example, to call lesions of angels to annihilate all the people in the temple, which he could have done, but he didn't. Just like what he told Peter in Matthew 26, verse 20, uh, 53. Do you not think I can appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? So what Christ did in the temple with non-believers, when you think of that, was gentle. It was unlimited power under control. And I know many people love to use Jesus in the temple as their excuse to be brutal or harsh with the truth. But in reality, when you think on who Jesus is and what power he truly has, unlimited power it should make us see how truly gentle he is with sinners. For he could have been like that the whole time he was on earth, flipping over tables, kicking in doors. And he could have been like that and more, just demolishing people left and right and brutal, being brutal with every single person. But that wasn't how he was all the time with the sinful people around him. Then just look at yourself now as his child. For how truly gentle he is with you and your life now by faith in him. For how many times do you sin against him and mess stuff up How many promises have you broken before him and to him? And yet rather than retaliate against you to give you his wrath, he joyfully and lovingly, graciously gives you forgiveness and love with open arms with all the spiritual blessings consistently to work everything for your good in him, even your mess ups. He has everything covered. When you sin, He is not standoffish against you with a scowl on His face, like many times we are to each other. For you are His child now, and all the wrath and anger has been removed completely from you. Removed by His atonement upon the cross. Look to the cross, understand there is no wrath, there is no anger between you and God anymore. The brutality has been removed over your head so you can always come to him and rest in his loving care over you. Rest in his gentleness over you. And if you're, and if you're thinking, well, John, this humility and gentle stuff, ah, come on, that's just for sissies. Let me tell you, these two words, humble and gentle, are how Christ describes himself in relation to us by faith in him, even with all of our sins and failures before him. And not only does he describe himself as such, he encourages us to learn from him to be the same to each other through faith in him. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Church, it's so vital to look to Jesus in all things. It's so important to look to the cross of Jesus, especially when we live in such divisive times. These divisions are out there doing their best to work themselves in your homes, at your work, and in church. And the only way to fight it is to look to Jesus and His grace for you and me. The more you do, the more you lean into His gospel of grace, the more of His humbleness and gentleness will be reflected in our church and in our lives. For these qualities are ours. We have them in Him. We just need to look to Him by faith to empower us to walk in them amongst each other and in our homes and in our workplaces and wherever. Christ promises such things for us by faith in him, even though we sin against him every day, for we have been truly forgiven. For Paul has said earlier in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and what is said there, he's laying out. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's not you, it's him. Just look to him. He'll help you out in those tough situations, to be humble and gentle. So now we're going to go ahead, with this mindset of what Christ has accomplished, we're going to go ahead and take the Lord's Supper. And as you open it, be careful, it may splatter a bit.